I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, football fans across the country and around the world. This is uh, Tim May with the Tim May Podcast, aptly named. Uh, uh, one of these days I'm working on it, man. We're going to get it to, but I digress. But I digress with that comment. Uh, Ohio State coming off a, in my opinion, an impressive uh, 34-10 to win over Michigan State, a team that returned like 18, 19 starters from a year ago. There were high hopes in East Lansing that this team could make another run like it has under Mark D'Antonio, make another run for a possible Big Ten championship. Uh, as that game went on on Saturday night, as you saw, Ohio State pretty much put Michigan State in its place methodically. Uh, I was impressed. Uh, some people weren't. I was impressed by the way Ohio State kept chopping the wood, as Greg Schiano used to say a uh, a year ago, uh, the late, great uh, Ohio State defensive coordinator. Like I said, I digress. I'm going to bring on a uh, a guest of mine uh, here, a guy I've known for quite a while now, a fellow I got to know when he was as early as 16 years old when he when he first committed to Ohio State University. And uh, it became one of, I, I think, one of the key components of a championship season. Now he's uh, watching things from up on high, the Big Ten Network, I think he's doing a hell of a job. He's always been an intelligent guy. Now he's he's uh, learned how to cash in on that. But uh, welcome in Joshua Perry from Lewis Center. Joshua, Joshua, how are you doing? I am just lovely today. How are you? Pretty good. I didn't want to. I didn't want to lay the mustard on too thick. You know what I mean? Uh, that hot dog. But uh, bottom line is, I have been impressed with you almost since I've known you from the standpoint of you've got your eyes wide open. You're not just kind of bumping through life. You're you're taking. You're taking in everything from football to uh, culture to how mankind is going. And uh, we're going to get to one thing I think is on your mind. A lot of uh, players, especially ex-players' minds, is the idea that uh, college football players should share a little bit more in the largesse generated by them from a financial situation. But before that, I wanted to ask you, you've been watching the Big Ten, like I said, from like the ivory tower of the Big Ten Network headquarters. And what's just impressed you? about Ohio State to this point, and is Ohio State the team to beat in the Big Ten at this moment? Yeah, uh, the thing that's impressive to me, and I've said it before, when you flip on the tape and you watch Ohio State, and you watch just about every other team from the conference, they look different. Ohio State looks faster, the players look bigger, you know, the game plan looks better, like it's everything. It's absolutely everything. Um, You can say that with Ohio State versus just about everybody else in college football right now, too, except for some of the other top dogs. Yeah. Um, this team has they they have it all. I mean, they got a quarterback who can make all the plays, throwing the ball and running the ball. They got a running back who's running about behind an angry O line. Um, they're being very productive on the ground. They've got great receiver talent on the outside. Flip it to the defensive side of the ball. I mean, Chase Young. I could really stop after saying his name, but Chase Young destroying games the way that he does. Mm-hmm. Um, then you look at the linebacker unit, much improved, which. You know, last year we didn't have a lot of great things to say about the defense overall, but mm-hmm. we had very few good things to say about them. And then there's the defensive backfield taking away the ball. I mean, they're, they're creating turnovers at a high pace right now. Um, and, and it's everything about this team, the way that they play, the way that they seem to care about each other, the way that Ryan Day has got these guys motivated, man. It's, it's different. 
specifically, you played linebacker at Ohio State. Uh, you watched last year like a lot of us did, kind of with uh, one hand over one eye, you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, yeah, what, what is specifically different with the way the Buckeyes are playing at linebacker from your vantage point? Um, this is more aggressive. I feel like you watch these guys and they're getting downhill. I think that they're more decisive, and that was the difference. Last year, I think there were too many alignments. They were probably playing too many games. And we would see guys starting – on the snap of the ball in the line of scrimmage, that is not a great place for a linebacker to be on unless you flip it. So it's a tough spot already. Um, yeah. The amount of coverages that they had in last year was crazy. This year they play a couple of base coverages. They play a lot of 3D zone. And then they play man-to-man. And in the man-to-man, it's really simple. If you watch the, the game plan, majority of the time, if it's a tight end, Pete Warner is going to be covering them out the linebacker spot. The other two backers got the running back. Yeah. Makes a pretty simple game plan-wise. So, uh, the, the ability to let these guys all across the defense just pin their ears back, but especially the linebackers, get downhill and play ball. You know, you you played against quarterbacks uh, when you were in in the in the game, both in the uh, high school, college, and the NFL. Uh, what impresses you most about what Justin Fields has done to date? Uh, you know, I, I keep telling everybody. I like the patience he's showing. He's not just going out there and trying to show you he's the toughest guy on the lot, the greatest guy on the lot. But what, what from your vantage point, have you seen from him that impresses you? He looks mature. You know, he looks like he's played in a lot of big games. He looks like he's played in a lot of games, period. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's really hard for quarterbacks to get comfortable. Um, and, you know, especially at Ohio State, all eyes are on you and uh, coming off of last year with Dwayne Haskins playing the way that he did, he had – some big shoots until he's done as much. Um, the way that he throws the ball a lot of times is effortless. And you can even see, like, he gets – it it can get him into trouble. But uh, he doesn't even, like, fully put his lower body into some of his throws because uh, he's so strong. Yeah. Um, and then, again, like, I, I can't remember who he shook, but there was one play where he gave a little dead leg, the guy went off a diving board, and he turned a, a play that should have been a one-yard gain into like seven or eight or ten or whatever. But, yeah, that was um, off, off his left that, side. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yep, yep. And it's, it's amazing the way that he can do those things now. Um, you know, in fairness, we, we feel like there's not a lot of holes in Ohio State's game and their team right now. I think that patience that you talked about uh, is, is interesting to me because I love a patient quarterback. He keeps his eyes down the field. He wants to make the throws before he takes off. Um that patience got him into a little bit of trouble where he made a little bit of a casual throw as his first interception of the year. But also, sometimes the pocket starts to get a little bit cloudy, and he stands in there for what might be a pick or a pick and a half too long. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that might get him into a little bit of trouble. He put the ball on the ground one time, and I think you know part of it was a really good pass rush, but the other part of it is to pull the ball down, get out the pocket, or throw it away. So yeah. uh, for him, I think that comes with being in bigger games against better competition, but not a lot of negative I can say about it. Yeah, I was going to say, man, a lot of things there that are becoming apparent. That was a really sound defense they played against. You know, you played against Michigan State way back yeah. when. That that was a sound defense they played against the other night. Like I, I was saying in the pregame show, 97.1, the fan that I get to do every week now. At, uh, you know, the thing about this uh, Michigan State defense is you're not going to snooker them probably. You just got to keep going until you beat them, you know. And, uh, yeah. but, but what stood out was – even against the Michigan State defense, the presence of Justin Fields 
what he means to the rest of the offense from the standpoint of the threat factor. I mean, the pass to Benjamin Victor that Victor turned in to the touchdown, you know, the uh, the, uh, the 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 big play by J.K. Dobbins. I mean, they had a safety come up and, and read. He thought Justin was going to keep the ball. He comes out of position, and uh, J.K., when he gets through the first level, you know, runs through uh, one little tackle there, and he's gone. And that's that's what gets you – that's what a running big-time threaded quarterback gets you, right? Absolutely. And uh, I think kind of going – piggybacking off of that, um, the reality of the situation is it, the numbers become a little bit tougher on defense where, yeah. uh, you know, it, it, you, you got to have defenders ready to roll on the quarterback that can move. But the other thing it does is it opens up the full field to play because you can get the ball to the edges, running it or throwing it. He can get the ball downhill and stretch you uh, uh, vertically as well. So that's what you saw. With this team was running sideline to sideline. They were also covering heat. And they got really tired. And you could look, and not to disparage my man, but Joe Bocci one of the best linebackers in the Big Ten Conference. Yes. And there were a number of plays, even like leading up to halftime, where he wasn't fully pursuing to the ball. And it's not because he's not a tough guy. It's not because he's a dog of a player. It's the fact that he was legitimately tired. That's what this offense can do to you. Yeah, you know what impressed me about him as much as anything, though? When Ohio State scored its last touchdown where uh, Justin kept over right, right end, you remember they uh, took a look at J.K. Dobbins' run, the the, game, the play before, and determined he was down at the one-yard line. But on that keeper off, yep. the, off the right end, J.K. Dobbins meets Bocce, you know, on the edge there. Big yep. collision. Uh, Justin, of course, scores. But I was so impressed by this. Because Bocce got up, and then he I, – I'm true, I do believe he helped J.K. up almost like in, yeah, yeah. man. Yeah, man, that was a football play. You know what I mean? I mean, I love that Bocce kid, man. Go ahead. I do, too. I mean, like, we, we talked about this, but um, those two guys specifically, it's kind of crazy that they had that collision on that play. Yes. You're talking about two players that are tough, and they respect the game. They love football. Both of those guys do. And they're like – they are – Big Ten players, like that's exactly what they are. Lunch pail guys bring the hard hat. You know, JJ blocks a pass throw. Joe Bocci's over here taking on lead blockers to try to blow up a play. Yeah. Like that's the fun thing about Big Ten ball. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, well, let's jump real quick. Uh, just give me a little synopsis on, you know, Ohio State sitting there tied for third with Georgia. I think in the AP poll this week, they're number four in the uh, in the uh, coaches poll. Is that about right from what you've seen? What what was just your take on that from a national standpoint? I mean, I, I can sit here and I can play plus and minus with everybody. Right. Uh, like Alabama, for example, I, I don't know how strong their opponents have been up to this point. I think their defense is, is not as good as they typically are. Um, so you could, you know, kind of go either way on that. Their offense is playing really well and they haven't lost the game. So yeah. give them a check in that box. Clemson, all right. You know, it's one of those years. Clemson right now to me feels like Ohio State in 15, where, you know, some of these games, you know, they're winning them. Some of them are a little bit too close. Maybe they're not as good as we thought they were. Yeah. Who knows what the deal is there. Uh, But they're winning their games, so you give them a check in the box. Uh, Georgia, to me, has shown a lot. But at the same time, I think that against the right uh, opponent, they're susceptible. Ohio State, same way. I feel like, you know, we talked about how good they look. They pass the look test. But... Uh, and they're winning games the way they're supposed to be. Like, that's the most important thing. But, yeah. you know, I think a lot of people want to see, and me too, I want to see them against Penn State, who I think is playing really, really well right now. I want to see them against Wisconsin, who 
has a super good defense. You know, like these are the games I want to see. So yeah. I think it's fair for right now. Uh, maybe Clemson's a little bit too high, but I, I mean, you know, you win your games is what you get. Yeah, you know, I, I keep uh, I keep using this line too when I talk about Ohio State right now. Though it just seems like under Ryan Day uh, guidance, the the offense they've got an answer. I mean, they've they no matter what question you pose at them, eventually they find an answer. And one of those answers is, you know, you better look out. They can pop a big play at any moment. Uh, that's kind of what got them through. See, people don't understand. I know you understand this, Joshua. When Ohio State, when when Alabama plays Clemson in the national championship game last year, there were no methodical drives, you know, four yards, four yards, four yards, four yards down the field. There was like a three-yard play followed by a two-yard play followed by a 30-yard play. You follow my drift. I mean, uh, the big right. plays the big plays are what make the difference when you go against better defenses, you know, and uh, and the good defenses. And I think that's what Ohio State has going for it right now is when push comes to shove, they still have an answer. They still have – a guy who can pop one. I mean, does it look that way to you? I agree with that. And, uh, you know, we talk about keys to winning games as a defense. It's one of the things people always say. But um, I think that it's, it's absolutely true. When I was previewing the matchup on BPN, uh, they asked me, what do you think the key is going to be for uh, Michigan State in terms of how they can beat the Buckeyes? I said, well, they got to be able to sustain drives, which they, they you know, by and large, struggle to do. Yeah. But the other thing to me was, if you can eliminate the big hit, it's hard to score points. And there's not a lot of teams in college football that can sustain long drives and score points and win games doing that. Yes. Um, you know, like, a lot of times you got to outscore your opponent in college football. Um, and and so if, if teams can't get those chunks, they're not going to be able to outscore anybody. Is, um, yeah. Ohio State can get the chunks it, anytime it, they need to. Yeah. Anytime they do. Is the success they've had in the second quarter indicative of a coaching staff that it's on its game? I'm talking about this whole season. They've pretty much dominated the second quarter, except, you know, a couple games where they didn't need to. But uh, is that indicative of a coaching staff that's on its game? Can I repeat that? I said, is the way they've dominated the second quarter, especially this year, sure. indicative of a coaching staff that is on its game, meaning from a, you know, Yes. Uh, adjustment standpoint. Yes. And I think that uh, Ohio State under Urban Meyer was really good at the halftime adjustment. Um, I think that right now they're really good at the on-field in-game adjustment yeah. uh, to where they can have that type of explosion. You get a few minutes between quarters and you can really iterate to your players and demonstrate to them what they need to be doing and then they can go out and do that exact thing. It says a lot. Um it's going to be big. It's going to be big down the line because yeah. right now, uh, when you look at first half, I think the ability to score as much as you can in the first half is going to be big against like a Penn State or a Wisconsin because when you come out in the second half, it's going to be a dogfight anyway. Yeah. Get the points while you can, while your team is still fresh and while the looks are still new. Yeah, I think they're I think they're actually holding teams in the second half to something like four point six points at this point. <laughs> that's yes. pretty, that's pretty good. Awesome. That's pretty good. Hey, well, let's jump gears. Let's shift gears here. Now I'm, I'll put the clutch in and go up into like a, a high third gear. Uh, you know, we, the the big talk, of course, last week was uh, about what happened in California State Bill. What was it, two oh six or whatever it's called? But uh, the fact that uh, uh, they've now. Uh, made it legal for college football or college athletes to make money on their image and likenesses, et cetera. Uh, 
like I was saying on Channel 10 last night on wall-to-wall sports, you know, the bottom line is, though, the schools also have to kind of go along with it. I mean, they have to – it's not just as simple as just saying this is going to happen and everybody's going to be happy. You and I have talked about this before ad nauseum. Just give me a microcosm on where you stand. Uh, by where you stand, I mean what is – what should happen in this college football landscape so that the players, uh, especially college football and big-time college basketball – so that so that they share in the financial largesse that's really over the top now compared to twenty years ago. Yes, and you know, I I think the name, image, and likeness is a perfect way to go. Uh, it does a number of things. Number one, um, it, it, it opens up a market that already exists and it's existed for a long time. But it does it, I think, in an equitable way to where you know, like if you're a very productive player, if you're popular, or even if you're a player that has a unique personality that meshes with a local company or whatever, you can go ahead and capitalize off of that. It's not asking the university to provide money and, and figure out how they're supposed to do that and get around Title IX and all those kinds of things. Um, it, it would it would be too hard. But uh, to me, there are too many businesses associated with the game um, that have a lot of money and they're spending them on the universities. They're even spending them on the coaches like, you know, love Coach Meyer, I love his family, but uh, we've all seen the commercials that Shelly Meyer was doing for Big Sammy. Yeah. And, you know, Shelly was a great support to us players, and she was always there for us, but she didn't coach us, and she wasn't on the field. She's still able to reap the benefits. I'm not saying that she shouldn't. I'm saying that players should be able to have the same sort of access to market. Um, I mean, we're, I can go into a million different what-if oh, sure. scenarios. Sure. But, you know, the California law, I think, was pretty cut and dry when you read it. You know, guys have to be represented by an attorney or an agent. The deals have to be... Um, reviewed by the universities as well. There's no scenario of a conflict of interest where a kid can wear Adidas at a Nike school type situation. Yeah, you know it's it's all above board. It is not a pay for play situation uh, where somebody can promise you 200 grand when you get on campus. It's a legitimate uh, contract situation where you're offering services provided for uh, financial return or for something of value. So. If I do a commercial, you might give me a loaner car. If I do a commercial, you might give me a few thousand dollars. Yeah. Something like that, but nothing where, hey, show up campus and uh, we'll give you 200 grand. That's still going to be illegal. Um, all those different things. But here's the thing, you know, real quick. Uh, I see, though, the big-time powers being able to collectively say, you know what, kid, youngster, young man, uh, great, great quarterback, if you come here, we can put together a package. You know, we can guarantee you a package that you're going to get opportunities that you're not going to get, you know, if you go to Ohio University or you understand what I'm saying, or maybe even Virginia. Sure. I mean, I mean, do you, do, you I, see, uh, do you see it escalating to that? Because that, that would be the next step, right? If it's legalized, right. then, hey, you know what? The, the blue bloods get bluer, right? <laughs> sure. And that's a good question. I think that the blue bloods traditionally get the best recruits. And, I, you know, I, I haven't done the research, but I could probably pull a case study on that. Yeah. So there's already a disparity in recruiting. I think that when you look at Columbus, for example, we're a unique place. Columbus is a big city, and it's a college town. The only other one I can think about that's a true big city and a true college town is probably Austin. Yeah. L.A. is not a college town. Uh, New York, Boston are not college towns. So um, there's a little bit of a, a unique thing going on there, but it seems like they could uh, generate the money in Tuscaloosa. They could find it in Knoxville as well. Um, so I don't know if that's the scenario. And then finally, the way that they want the, the contracts to be reviewed by attorneys and by uh, the universities, if I was 
the NCAA, I would jump in ahead of this and say that we're going to create our own agency oversight, whatever it is. Yeah. And all contract information needs to be turned into us. We need to be able to aggregate this information. And then we can see what the typical growing, growing rates are in certain cities. So you can't say that a guy who's never played a snap before is worth a certain amount of money that he's like actually not worth on the market. So then it would take away that scenario too, where schools are saying, Hey, you know what? We're going to promise you this. They can promise it to you, but you can't actually pay it because that's not the going rate for a player that's never played before. Yeah. I mean, you could go, when you start talking about this, it is a Pandora's box. You can go off like an octopus with a thousand legs on it. You could go all kinds of different directions, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and, and really of the ramifications, et cetera. Let me ask you this. You played college football. You know, I observed college football. Is this the beginning of the end for college football, as some people are saying, as doomsayers are saying, or do you think it is manageable? For example, uh, like last week when we got to talk to Gene Smith uh, before one of the press conferences after this California bill was passed uh, or was signed into law, whatever it was, uh, uh, you know, I asked him after he made fun of me for still being in the media, he thought I retired. <laughs> but I asked him, I said, I said isn't this – isn't this a lot? I mean, the NCAA has like dragged its feet on this forever, knowing this was coming, you know. And uh, and I call it lollygagging. And he said, "Yes, you know, but uh, there have been lawsuits and things. You can't necessarily make rules while there are lawsuits being made." Well, I'm not sure I totally agree with that. But uh, uh, do you see this as the beginning of the end of of big time college football and basketball? I, I don't know why it would be. I, I hear I a lot either. of people saying that. In for the life of me, I, I can't understand why that would be. And I think it's for, for two things. We've got a lot of people who are just grasping at straws to keep these guys unpaid. And I think it's unfair. But the other thing to me is when you really boil it down, I use myself as an example all the time. I was a team captain. I led the team tackles on national championship team. The money that I would have made off of name, image, and likeness would not have been life-changing. Yeah. It absolutely would not have been. Might have made, might have made a thousand bucks a month doing autograph signings, appearances, or whatever. Maybe Nick would have made a little bit more than that. That's not it's, that's not changing anybody's life. It's, it's a lot of money for a college kid to get, but let's, let's not mistake it here. It's not going to become a place where you've got typical, and this would be across 90% of locker rooms, where somebody would make over six figures doing appearances and autographs. It just wouldn't happen. You might get a J.T. Barrett or a Cardale Jones or even a Justin Fields who has that type of recognition, Chase Young. Majority of the guys make a couple extra thousand dollars. And, the well, you know, does anybody get jealous that the quarterback gets that kind of money? I don't know. Does anybody get jealous that Kirk Herbstreit's only talking to Justin Fields when ESPN's in town there? He's not talking to anybody else? Bingo. No. Yeah. Don't tell another guy's pocket. Find your own damn business. Play your, play your game, and then you might make a little bit more money. Yeah. It just blows my mind that people would say that. It's, that's not where it's going to get. Yeah, that's just funny because I wrote a story about that in the middle of the summer up there at the Big Ten kickoff uh, luncheon where I talked to uh, Jordan Fuller and K.J. Hill about it, you know, me and some other guys. And uh, basically, Jordan Fuller, I brought up that NFL, you know, the NFL scenario where you're sitting in a locker room and one guy sitting uh, two lockers over him and maybe making $25 million a year and you're making the NFL minimum. Does that create problems in the locker room? You know, and, and obviously – it does not, unless that guy making twenty five million dollars a year is dragging everybody down, right? But uh, that's well, what, I mean, that's what Jordan said. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean that's the deal. Like you know, as, as a, a a grown man, I, I might be a little bit more mature than some of these college guys, but like, don't count other people's pockets has always been a good motto for me. Like you know, mind your damn business. But yeah. the reality of the situation is, I can remember as a rookie, I'd be in the locker room, Philip Rivers, Antonio Gates, 
uh, Keenan Allen and Melvin Gordon, uh, Melvin Ingram, those five guys, they would play card. And they would be playing for like 2500 a hand. Like they would come into a locker room with ten grand in cash. Wow. Could not have been me. As a rookie player, that's just not something I could have done. Yeah. But I didn't resent those guys for their ability to do so. Yeah. I just knew that they were really good players in the league. They had spent some years there like, let me get my money up to a point where I can do that too. Yeah. In other words, even in the locker rooms, pro players are making it rain. Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> yes, that's exactly what it is. I got you. Joshua, you know, man, it is always a slice, man, when I get to talk to you on and off the record. I mean, I've always appreciated, man, your forthrightness. And, and by the way, your mom came by and took a picture of us at the uh, at the pregame tailgate show the other day. So your your mom is Love still it. very much involved, one of the great people I've ever met along with your dad and your brother brothers. But, uh, man, Joshua, appreciate it, man. More good luck to you down the road, brother. Uh, keep up the good work on the Big Ten Network. Thank you. I, I always enjoy talking to you as well. Uh, you know, one of those guys, I, I joke around with you too about how you say you're retired, but you're still around. But I just feel like Ohio State football wouldn't be the same if Tim May wasn't around. <laughs> well, thank you very much. I'll pass it along to Gene Smith. <laughs> Joshua, appreciate it, man. And Kay, keep hammering Glenn Mason. Don't let him get away with anything. You know what I'm saying. Oh, no. I got it. <laughs> All right, brother. Thanks, man. Thank Ladies and you. gentlemen, that was Joshua Perry. Former, uh, like he pointed out, former t- leading tackler on a Big Ten, on a on Ohio State national championship team, and uh, it's always a pleasure to get his view on things because he's always had his w- eyes wide open, observing not just what his socks look like as he gets ready to go out to practice, but what's going on around him, and uh, and it's always a pleasure. I really appreciate it. You know, we're gonna be back in a moment. I'm gonna uh, quickly analyze a couple of plays that I really enjoyed watching on Saturday night in Ohio State's victory uh, over. Michigan State. And then after that, I'm going to bring on my friend Austin Ward, Boston Ward, as you know him best, uh, to talk about what we've seen from this Ohio State team so far, what has really stood out from a development standpoint. So I'll be right back. Hey, college football fans, it's Zach Bourne here. You need to check out BetDSI.com. BetDSI is a great way to use your sports knowledge to make some extra cash. That's right. BetDSI is the top-rated online sports book. They've been paying winners for over 20 years. The reason they've been around that long is because they have got the fastest payouts in the industry. Plus, the user interface and mobile site is the best in the business. Play, win, and get paid. It's that simple. It doesn't matter if it's college football, the NFL, NBA, NHL, UFC, eSports, reality TV, virtually anything. You can bet it. You can bet on it at betdsi.com and get paid right now. There's no better way to add some excitement to games that you already are watching. Check out their live betting where you can bet on games throughout the entire matchup, every play, and every minute until the end. BetDSI has a special deal for Letterman Row fans. Use the promo code ROW100 to get a 100% bonus match. That's more than double. That's right, more than double your money to start winning today. Once again, go to BetDSI.com and use promo code ROW100 and get this limited 100% bonus offer to make some extra cash on the sports you know and love. BetDSI promo code ROW100. Now back to the show. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back. Uh, this is my favorite segment of my Tim May podcast every week where I break down a play. And uh, for the for those of you just listening in your car or have downloaded the podcast while you do your daily jogging, I'm going to be a little more descriptive about what I'm seeing. The folks getting to watch it on their on their screen will 
I think will be entertained even more, but I want to make it a little bit more like Eli Gold or Paul Kills calling the action than just, uh, you know, maybe uh, Lindsey uh, Lindsay Nelson. That's a name from the past that you people don't know. This is my, my two of my favorite examples of Ohio State getting things done against a very tough Michigan State defense. Uh, actually, this is just one example of getting it done against the defense. I've got another play coming up of showing how what value you can have as a defensive player in ways other than getting sacks. Uh, basically, I'm talking about Chase Young. But on this play, the folks watching it can see Ohio State is lined up in the uh, shotgun. I call it basically the, the cocked pistol because they're, the quarterback, uh, Justin Fields, is at pistol depth behind an offensive line. It includes a tight end to the right. Uh and you've got uh, J.K. Dobbins to the left of Justin Fields, and you've got receivers on either side of the ball. And uh, as the play starts, Michigan State's lined up a pretty pretty basic. They bring a, a, a they've got two linebackers across the back, and then uh, another linebacker steps, steps back into the fray when he considers he thinks a zone read option is coming. He is right about that. But as you notice, uh, back that up a little bit, Spence Spencer Holbrook, by the way, my glue man, the guy that holds it all together here at Little Monroe. Uh, you'll watch this. Justin Fields ha- reads the eye. He is reading this defensive end. They have not blocked on the end. That's why you call it a zone read option. You always leave someone unblocked. It goes all the way back to the days of, of, of when option football first started, and especially when uh, Bill Yeoman made it famous with the veer option. But uh, you watch this. He's got his eyes on this defensive end coming off the left side of the, uh, of the offensive formation. Go ahead and roll it, Spence. Right there, stop it. Uh, Rightly so, Justin Fields has opted to hand the ball off to J.K. Dobbins from left to right. Now, that doesn't mean Justin Fields probably couldn't have beaten the defensive end on the end, but, you know, Ohio State was bound and determined to keep chopping at this tree, which was the Michigan State front seven, until they made it fall. And uh, anybody watching the game on Saturday night, it fell with a lot of thunder on this particular play. And also keep in mind, Xavier Henderson – Michigan State's uh, safety, also from Pickerington Central High School, he is lined up in a, just to the left of the middle of the field uh, from his viewpoint. But as the play starts, he seems to be bound and determined that the this electric player right here, Justin Fields, is going to keep the ball. Because watch the angle he takes initially. Uh-oh, he's in trouble. Now, if you, if you also look closely, offensive linemen have all gotten blocks, including uh, Jonah Jackson on the defensive tackle. Uh, Brendan Bowen on the defensive end, uh, Gary, uh, Wyatt Davis on the on the other defensive tackle, and out here on the edge, I think that's Luke Farrell on their uh, other linebacker. Look at this safety. Watch this safety come running up. He's pretty much going to have to play. In, well, he's already run himself out of the play if you watch. This is amazing because uh, Josh Myers has gotten a block on their middle linebacker, and boom. J.K. Dobbins to the second level. Stop it right there, Spence. Xavier Henderson tries to correct himself. It's a little bit too late. He doesn't realize, really, how fast J.K. Dobbins is. As J.K. Dobbins goes through the hole, like we've called, talked about it many times, the leaner, meaner J.K. Dobbins. Now let this, let this play just run. Man, when you crack two guys right between, <laughs> run between two guys to uh, the open field, you've got a special running back. And just run this in slow motion real quick, and people can see this, uh, Spence. Everybody's getting their block. Thanks to my friend uh, Kirk Herbstreit, he's drawing the lines on uh, 
where Xavier Henderson made his initial poor read on the play. He should have just stayed in the middle of the field. He was a safety that was going to clean up if anything happened. But as this play continues, watch what happens. Josiah Scott comes from the backside, and instead of tackling, jumping into the grist mill that is uh, J.K. Dobbins' legs movement right now with a leaner, meaner, stronger J.K. Dobbins, he decides he's going he's to take a swing and try to knock the ball loose. Swing and a miss, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, take your seat. You have struck out. J.K. Dobbins has just had another breakaway touchdown. And look at this. Just watching it as, as the play develops, ladies and gentlemen, we aren't getting to see this. It's amazing. J.K. Dobbins had his head down. He had that what I call that lean to him, that uh, pad level lean to him. He is, he is running like a different back this year. Now let's jump forward, uh, uh, Spence, to the field goal. We'll make this quick. This guy right here, well, Boston Ward thinks this guy could end up in New York City uh, at the end of the year as a Heisman Trophy candidate. And the folks who can't see it and are just listening to it, I'm, I have got my pointer right on Chase Young uh, as Michigan State lines up to try a field goal at the end of its uh, third quarter drive where they tried to get something on the board to stay in this game. Uh, as the play develops – You'll, you'll see right here next to him is Devon Hamilton. And uh, wait a minute, I was, I was circling the wrong guy. That was Jay Sean Cornell. Jay Sean Cornell lines up. He's going to try to attack the A-gap between the, between the long snapper and the guard next to him. And uh, Devon Hamilton is going to charge straight at the man in front of him, the third man down. But what's interesting here is there's really one guy that they've lined up to try to get the block, and it's Chase Young who has lined up uh, two gaps over from the center, and as the play develops, the guard goes over. The guard goes over to help block uh, Jay Sean Cornell, and right here, Chase Young makes a swim move. Excuse me, Chase Young was coming from the third gap. Chase Young makes a swim move, pushes pushes the blocker in front of him down, and if the ball had been kicked toward the uprights, which it was not, he would have had the block on this play because Devon Hamilton, as you see folks getting to watch this, has shoved his man out of the way. Just a pure bull rush uh, by him and has opened things up. But what you don't get to see from this is a, a couple of minutes later, television, we could see this from the from the press box also, uh, Mark D'Antonio is trying to claim that one of the uh, Ohio State defenders pulled a guy out of the way. Uh, that was not the case. Chase Young just made such a great swim move when he, uh, when he rushed that it looked like the guy got shoved out of the way by Jay Sean Cornell. Jay Sean Cornell just attacked the A gap, and uh, basically this guy forgot how good Chase Young was. Opted not to hit him straight up, let him put a swim move on him, and this is how you become valuable as a football player, uh, and how you get attention if people are cl paying close attention. Uh, as one of the great players in the country, this is considered maybe the elite defensive end in the country, but he is selling out totally and then some. On a, on a possible field goal block, and as you well know, it's paid off for him handsomely a couple of times already this year. But uh, Spencer Holbrook, my glue man, thank you very much for going through that again and, and keeping up with my uh, stops and finishes. I just think you folks, uh, this is a great way to understand how football is played. Matt Barnes has brought a lot of this with him from Maryland, the new special teams coordinator for Ohio State this year, and it is paying dividends. They are a factor one way or another on almost every special team's play anymore. Tell you what, we'll be right back in a moment with Boston Ward where we're going to discuss 
uh, what we've seen from Ohio State football so far this year that uh, is worthy of recognition. We'll be right back. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I always enjoy breaking down those plays, showing you maybe from my little uh, vantage point, which is kind of s- still semi-uneducated, <laughs> on what you can watch for. It's little things you can watch for in a football game which make huge differences. And uh, like uh, – you know, you and I were talking about this uh, on Saturday night, after, late Saturday night after the game, Austin. Uh, I even told uh, Chase Young as he was leaving leaving the interview area, you know, there are a lot more ways to impact a football game than just a pure sack, and I think you showed that again tonight, and he said thank you. Well, but, and there's been a lot of examples of that where, you know, we talked early in the season about him dropping back into coverage, and, you know, teams are trying to double-team him, and he suddenly he's not rushing the passer, and that's opening up stuff for guys coming on the back end, Sean Wade – uh, they did that blitz again the other night against Michigan State. Yeah. But now he's adding to that. Like He's not even touching the football on these uh, field goals. Guys are trying to kick it around him, force the one miss. I don't know how he didn't get the blocks. Uh, the one, I think the second one, the one that you broke down, if he touches that at all and it's going right into his stomach, he's probably going to score. Yeah. Uh, he's going to have some big stuff coming. And uh, I think that he needs one or two of those to really get that ball rolling if he's going to have a legitimate – Heisman Trophy campaign, and I don't know if that's what you were wanting to talk about on this show or not, but I I think it would be – you and I mentioned that to Jerry Emig the other night. Like They want him to go to New York, and for a defensive guy, you might have to nudge that a little bit more because Justin Fields and J.K. Dobbins are also on this team well, too. Well, you know what's interesting? I've been thinking about the dynamic there, and so far uh, what's, what's interesting about Justin Fields is they've kind of hit a nice little uh, – maybe rhythm here with their offense from the standpoint of uh, he's maybe not going to throw for 500 yards a game like Dwayne Haskins right. Jr. had to do last year a few times. I mean, one of, well, he might get one game like that. I'm, you know, I'm talking about Dwayne Haskins Jr. didn't throw for 500 yards every week, but you understand <laughs> what I'm saying. Yeah. It was pretty much a passing game because they couldn't run the ball consistently. With J.K. Dobbins and the offensive line having the year they've had <clears throat> thus far, uh, you just look at the numbers the last couple of weeks uh, – Justin Fields is throwing what I call just to kind of <laughs> season the offense to a certain extent. When they give it to you, take it. But he, he's probably not going to have those big numbers from a passing standpoint. He still is going to have uh, a lot of touchdowns responsible for. He's definitely still on pace to break that record, uh, you know, held by by uh, uh, Dwayne Haskins. Yeah. Uh, we'll see if he gets there. But do you agree? I mean, this they've kind of hit a little nice little uh, medium here. I'm starting to, like – watch them and see how Justin Fields represents that next step that Braxton Miller couldn't quite get to as a passer, that JT Barrett didn't quite reach uh, except for maybe that Penn State game and and the huge comeback as a passer. What Justin Fields can do is not quite be Dwayne Haskins, but he can do enough things with his arm that opens up everything else for that offensive line, for J.K. Dobbins. So the the raw uh, yardage total, is probably not going to match up to what Braxton did as a rusher. Uh, he's not going to carry it as much as JT, but he has a much better uh, arm and seems more confident with some of these deliveries, especially deep down the field, that allow him all these 
the touchdown numbers are going to be off the charts ahead of both of those guys. Yeah. And uh, I think that's really helped set him apart is it's just kind of, you know, the offense kept changing and shifting and they couldn't quite get to this do everything in balance. Dwayne skewed it way to the pass. JT skewed it to the quarterback run. Justin Fields really allows them to go right down the middle. Yeah, and the thing about Justin Fields is, you know, you, you'd have to be an Antarctica native, you know, who's never seen football to understand what he has meant to the offense to date of just that threat of the run. There were all kinds of examples on Saturday night against Michigan State, repeated examples of them respecting him and uh, and what it paid off for the other guys. And uh, it's just – and that's just going to increase because that run threat is, as Joshua Perry said, he gave a limp leg to a guy that was just just – like him walking down the street to go to the burger stand, you know. I mean, yeah. it's a, just naturally uh, he does some things out there which set him apart. He's not just fast; he's got some savvy when he runs. Uh, from a passing standpoint, he doesn't just rack it and rack it and and, and throw it. Uh, he's got some savvy. You know that one play. You know, I watched that a, a million times, and like uh, Ryan Day said, the first interception he threw. And by the way, I was going to say that in the middle of the press conference last week. People were trying to jinx him, and it finally didn't work <laughs> out. As, as he said, you know, you jinxed me by asking about no interceptions. Uh, but that was a roll right, turn, and throw. He didn't even really look. And uh, you can't ever put a ball, I call it a fair catch ball up there, <laughs> without at least looking. Right. Uh, but then past that, I think he's played – very well to point to this point from uh, showing a lot of patience from every week you see him learning I think he could be a little sharper on his own read option stuff but a lot of, like a lot of times you and I were sitting there in the press box and I go you know he meant to give it to JK all the way anyway so yeah. you know it just looks that way sometimes but uh past that I mean for a guy making his six starts now as a college football player first since high school I think he's done extremely well and he's you know he's graded on such a Expected to be so great from, right. from day one. Such a high standard he's supposed to meet, replacing a Heisman Trophy uh, finalist last year. And, and sometimes you you hear this or see this, like he missed a throw. I think it was a third down. He scrambled middle of the field, throws high. I don't remember if it was Alave or whoever it was. But, you know, he misses that one. He throws the interception. Um, you know, last week I, I got a question of the day about whether he, he holds the football too long. And he has uh, at times been, you, you called it patient, he's been – overly patient and that's produced some sacks and some negative plays that Ohio State doesn't really want but well here's the thing though people gotta understand this because Joshua Perry touched on this too but what you're saying uh you know quarterback especially a young first time starting quarterback you sometimes you get used to having a little bit of time and so then you're trying you're sitting here and you're definitely sometimes it doesn't click immediately what they've just flipped into on the backside from a coverage standpoint or, or or has it you don't know if it's clicked immediately with your receiver and so you do sometimes get caught up in taking that extra i saw aaron Rodgers do that on sunday uh against the cowboys they still won handily but uh you sometimes get caught up in like just waiting for that everything to come together and then all of a sudden it's too late to bail you know it's kind of like a flying an airplane with the engine <laughs> on fire you know you know get out you know or land it you know in the weeds but part of that, too, is that, you know, you spend a lot of time in that cockpit learning what you should do right. and what you should do. And and Justin Fields hasn't had that yet. So I'm getting there. They're like, there's always going to be a balance because he is so dangerous with, with his feet and he trusts his athleticism so much. He's all, There's always going to be times, I think, no matter how long he plays, where he's going to, you know, expect that he can make something magical happen even as a play breaks down around him. But the other part of it is that ball is going to start coming out of his hands more quickly. There are going to be throws – 
there was one I, you know, Spencer and I were were pointing at, and you and I were talking about it. Where I think you know KJ was breaking open and had two you know two steps on a guy coming across the middle of the field, but he had already you know seemed to make his decision to go to the outside guy. Yeah, and didn't you know didn't hit that stuff is going to come. Sure. He's, he started six games, and you know, I keep saying it, I said it last week he started five games. You it's significant for a quarterback to spend more time. You know, even to go back to the conversations we had about Dwayne. Uh, or when Tate Martell used to be talking and trying to threaten Justin Fields not to come here, you need a year or two to get comfortable uh, in the system, especially with Ryan Day, and then they continue to add on. And Dwayne Haskins didn't even have the 100% upload a year ago, even when he was done. Ryan Day estimated that at that coach's clinic that we were at earlier this year, that Dwayne was at like 70%. I mean, think about that. That's a a guy threw 50 touchdown passes. Yeah, crazy. So Justin Fields – is only going to get better, and you look at these, you know, even a bye week here or off date, excuse me, another one coming in a few weeks. Those are going to be valuable times just for him to get more on the practice field. Mm-hmm. Same will be true for chugging off and hope, but this guy is going to get more uploaded every single week. Yeah. Hey, one other quick thing, and we'll get out of here. By the way, uh, talking about him throwing to that guy instead of spotting KJ Hill, you know, in game planning, a lot of times certain plays, whether they want to admit or not, are designed yeah. to try to take advantage of what you think is a mismatch. <laughs> Even if you kind of throw it to a guy in kind of tight coverage, you think you can make that play, and you that's easy to get fixated on. I think as it goes along, uh, especially that play we saw the other night, they will counsel him on it. If that guy, you know, if maybe this guy's a little closer covered than, than we like, look back because, man, remember against Michigan State, K.J. Hill was <laughs> wide open over the middle. That would have been a big play. So, you know, it has to work along. Like I said, I think he's developing. You may see that play down the road. I mean, that's that's what you're going to see. Real quickly, uh, defensively, what is the best thing you've seen other than Chase Young and your Heisman Trophy campaign for him? <laughs> By the way, that's going to fall short because I, the starting I quarterbacks for these top four teams, uh, especially three of them, I mean, are you kidding me? Jalen Hurts, yeah. uh, to, uh, uh, to, uh, to a tackle Valoa and uh, – and uh, Justin Fields, Jake Fromm may get into it too. We'll see. And then Joe Burrow, it's going to be hard to crack that fivesome. It is, and, and I get that. I don't. I don't expect that Chase Young will win, but I think it's. I did this way back when we talked about Tennessee. Eric Berry, Tennessee, right. did a Heisman campaign for him, and he was a truly special player. I, I just think that, you know, you talk. You, I'll answer your question, but Chase Young, <laughs> it's so it's special when you see these defensive guys. They deserve. Chase Young works so hard. I think he's the best player in the country, and they they deserve some of that attention. It shouldn't just go to the quarterbacks. So even if he doesn't win, I'm I'm totally fine giving him uh, a platform for a campaign, and I think that he's earned it. He won't he won't win. You're right. The quarterbacks are doing uh, exceptional stuff, including the guy in his own team. Most you know what's of- funny? You know what's funny? I could ask questions at a house hearing because I'll ask my question, but then I'll take <laughs> it off in a totally different direction just to get my. Ten, ten cents in there, and, and and you gave me something that I I just like talking about. Yeah. Chase Young, I know you. Did. It's been I knew I threw that I knew that I threw that that's ball right down red, the middle. Red meat for me. Um, the the most impressive thing, uh, overall is the turnaround of the linebackers. Um, I, I could say I was really torn because the secondary play has been so impressive, and Jeff Halfley, uh, broke down with Tyvis Powell actually coming on Buck IQ. What Jordan Fuller and Sean Wade have been doing. Uh, the cornerbacks, we did that last week with Chimdi Chekwa. Those guys have been great, but the linebackers were just so inconsistent and so poor the last couple years, and there was no reason for it because you knew that Baron Browning was an athletic freak. You knew that Malik Harrison was one of the most talented potential playmakers in the country. Tough Borland, we saw at the end of 2017 when he went out there, and it's like he was just playing. They couldn't throw a lot on his plate, 
and he was making plays in the backfield. Pete Warner, we've seen it. Um, so, I, you know, I I don't blame them for it. I think that the coaching staff was paid a lot of money, and they failed to develop guys that are really gifted. And now Al Washington, Greg Madison, these guys, they've bought in, and all that stuff is showing through. If you pick one of that of that group, I would say Baron Browning's rise has been the most impressive, and I think he's another example of a guy who's only going to get more responsibility as the season goes on. And that's not a knock on Tough Borland, but it's just a tribute to Baron Browning. Before he's called for a bogus, by the way, bogus uh, blindside hit the other night yeah. on the interception return by Jordan Fuller. That's like when, when he, yeah, when he, but all that, but he had his hand in front too, you know, and it was like, anyway. Did I uh, knock you off of the path there yeah, as but, hard as I blocked you? But you and I both digress. Yeah. <laughs> the way he jumped in the air to tip that ball to begin with, number one, ridiculous ability. Number two, after he saw Jordan Fuller intercept the ball, ladies and gentlemen, I challenge you to go on Google and, and download a highlight. Baron Browning jumps about five feet in the air in total glee. <laughs> I mean, he is so happy. It's ridiculous. And uh, and that should have been a pick six. I mean, Jordan Fuller ran straight toward me. I was standing down in the corner of the end zone by that point, you know, because the game was put yeah, away. Yeah. And uh, he ran almost straight at me the way – the way they returned the ball, Okuda had a good block. I mean, uh, uh, right on down the line, there was there were all kinds of things that happened well on that play. But Baron Browning is a different individual now, a different player. It's it's really interesting. Like I said about college football, I was we were, when you and and Berm and I were Bermanology and I were talking about the game late that night after the up in the tunnel there. I said this is what happens. You know, you go these guys go from eighteen to twenty one years old if they stay four years. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know and. Uh, they become different ball players, not just different people. I mean, they mature as people. They, they mature yeah. as ball players, and uh, and now you know a lot of it is the coaching, but a lot of it is Jeffrey Okuda and Damon Arnett are back from last year. Jordan Fuller is back. Chase Young, Jonathan Cooper, Devon Hamilton having a hell of a year. Jason Cornell, watch the game again. See how many times he is touching the quarterback when he throws the ball right. or worky or in his face. Uh, that guy is having a hell of a year. That's that's what you're seeing. Is you're seeing guys rise and it is made for to date a wonderful thing to watch on that defense i think you make a great point about hamilton because you look at the you know individual box score and stat sheet his name's not on there a lot he's not making a lot of plays that actually show up but i guarantee you he as this season goes on and then they start talking about the draft prep devon hamilton's name is going to come up a lot and he's going to get paid because they're going to look at all the times that he is altered he's collapsing the pocket how he helps shut down those rushing lanes with a you know big athletic uh, frame there in the middle. Yeah, uh, you know it's not showing up, and he's probably not going to get a lot of all Big Ten hype. He's probably not going to New York, is what you're saying. He's definitely not going to go to New York, and I'm not <laughs> or I'm not, Chicago. Not backing his Heisman campaign, <laughs> but when you're talking about draft prep, yeah, that guy's name is going. He's going to get paid. Oh yeah, and he, that's going to the well, stuff he's putting on film is going to show up. As I outlined, as I showed in that breaking down that uh, near field goal block right. where yep. the miss. Devon Hamilton helped make that play as much as Chase Young did. And uh, it's amazing what they're getting done. Hey, it's always a slice having my friend Austin Ward on. Boston Ward, excuse me. I appreciate you uh, letting excuse me, me come sir, on. Boston Ward. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, this football season really is halfway done. It's just getting started. Because yeah, yeah, right. this is, you know, the games in October are the ones that keep you sober. And then the games in November are the ones you remember. And then the ones in December I haven't come up with a – they're the ones that give you distemper. I don't know. <laughs> we'll think of another term for that. But uh, We'll work on it. Yeah. But tell you what, we'll be back next week uh, coming off the, the off week for Ohio State. 
And Boston and I will break down on what we expect to see moving forward with this football team. The things we've seen in the in the past in the past six games that point toward where they're going, both from an individual standpoint and as a team standpoint. But as always, ladies and gentlemen, I truly appreciate you listening or watching this podcast, or in the case of watching, both listening and watching. <laughs> and uh, we'll be back next week with more from the Tim May podcast. Thanks.